I love movie montages. You may say, well, what is that? Well, we all know it. We see it in movies all the time. It's where uh, a character or a group of characters have to do a lot of training. They have to do a lot of getting ready. And so, naturally, the, the movie can't take two weeks to show every detail of their training. So what do they do? Well, they shorten it to about 30 seconds, put it to music, and next thing you know, they're trained in about a minute. Here's an example in X-Men First Class. Great, great movie. Great movie. You have Professor X collecting all of these mutants, all these people with superpowers. They have to uh, come along with respect to their superpowers because they have a mission. And they're all not trained. They're all like, all, they don't know how to use their powers. They don't know how to control it. And so naturally, in typical Hollywood fashion, in about 50 seconds, they all become well-trained. Take a look. This is yours. No, it's ours. Come on, time for the tour. You know, when I do this, bad things tend to happen. It's because you can't control it. It controls you. That's why we're here, Alex. That's why we're training. This is like any other muscle in the body. You can control it. Try higher frequency. Much higher. <laughs> sure, right, Alex. I want you to hit the X and try not to hit me. That's a good chap. You're serious? I'm very serious. I have complete and utter faith in you. <laughs> and so there you have it in a 50 second clip. All of the mutants go from horrible to really good. We all know, though, as we watch that, or as we watch really any movie that shortens things, a lot of training is required to get to where the character wants to be. They set a goal, and they want to get to the goal, and to do that, they must train. It is grueling. A lot of times it may take years to accomplish. And when you think about us, Sometimes I wish we could just have a montage as, as our Christian growth, right? I mean, just think about where we started. Those of you in the room who are Christians, we started as enemies of God. We were sinners. We didn't know the truth. And we see where Scripture tells us that God is taking us. He is, he's taking us and one day will make us completely, perfectly righteous. We're not there yet. We're works in, in progress but sometimes I wish that we could just have a 30-second music clip and then us get there. It takes time. It takes training. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy, who is the pastor of the Ephesian church, and they're facing a problem. False teachers have come in and they've started to teach that the way to do Christian growth is by doing the external things. Keeping the external traditions. And so they would come in and they would tell the people, well, if you really want to grow as a Christian, you need to eat these foods right here. If you really want to grow as a Christian, you should not marry. If you want to grow, you, you really need to be harsh to your body. You need to keep these traditions, keep these external things. And Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, no... 
It's not by keeping the rules, but it's by training in godliness. It's by living out the transformation that God is working into our hearts. And as we, as we approach this text, the, the main thing that we see is that we should, just like Timothy, we should pursue godliness instead of traditions. Instead of traditions. Join with me as we read 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start reading there in verse 7. Please stand with me if you're able as we honor the reading of God's Word. See, there you go, Stacy. I got him to stand up again. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. To this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word that reminds us that it's, it's, not about, it's not about the traditions that we have, although sometimes they are very good. But Father, Christian growth is about training ourselves in godliness. Something that doesn't just happen in a, in a quick minute clip, but something that takes us an entire lifetime of walking with You of falling down, of You picking us back up, of, of getting into the Word and, and training ourselves, Lord. So I pray today that we would see each one of us in here what Your Word says, but more than that, Lord, how it applies to us, Lord. I pray that You would make us obedient to Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank You so much. So today we are talking about how to grow in Christ. And there's two things that, that Paul tells us here to grow in Christ. And the first one is, to grow in Christ, I must reject false teaching. If I'm going to grow in the truth, then obviously I need to reject what, what is false. And notice how he starts it out there in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I love what he calls their false teaching. He calls it myths. These irrelevant stories. Well, what is it that they're believing? What is it that's so bad that he's saying this to? And we don't really have to look much further than bumping up to the beginning of the chapter in 1 Timothy 4. And this is what he says. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's not good through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And, and look at what he says. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. They're saying, hey, if you really want to grow, you need to abstain from marriage. You really want to grow, you need to not eat these certain foods. You need to, to, to do these external traditions. Paul writes another letter to a completely separate church about the very same thing. This is what he writes to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 2, he says, If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, 
Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Look at what he says in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance. What? What has an appearance? Keeping these traditions, these man-made traditions that they've added on top of the Word of God. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Not true wisdom, it just looks wise in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. That means severity to your body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Guys, traditions a lot of times can be good, but a lot of times what happens is we, as Christians, we, we say, well, this is what God's Word says, and I want to make sure that I keep God's Word, so I'm going to add all this stuff on top of it. And then, Christian growth becomes not about walking with Christ and obeying His Word, but it becomes about how well you keep the human traditions. And the problem with that is, although some traditions are good, a lot of traditions, a lot of this stuff that we add on top of it, ultimately leads people astray. Because what it does is it makes us feel, y'all listen to this, it makes us feel as if we are good. Right? I mean, when you get the externals right, you feel good about yourself. I mean, you want to pat yourself on the back and say, I've done a good job. I am a growing, thriving Christian. Even if you're not walking with Christ, even if you're not in the Word daily, you say, but I'm keeping the traditions. I'm showing up to church. I, I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't, you know, all these things. I don't do any of that stuff. And... I'm not walking with God necessarily, but I'm keeping the traditions. Showing up at church. He says, those things will not change us on the inside. Notice he says, they won't stop us in indulging in the flesh. They have no change because it is all external. It is all on the outside. And that is the false teaching that creeps in. These folks are all about the external, keeping these harsh rules. And notice what Paul says, their outward severity to their bodies doesn't do anything for the heart. Paul, look at what he calls in 1 Timothy. He calls these false teachings, these myths, he says they are irreverent and silly. I love it. In a way that only Paul could. I'll tell you, if... If I said the things that Paul said, I would probably not make it very far. Because this is literally the irreverent part, we get that, it just means worldly. He calls these false teachings, these myths, worldly. But the second part, he says silly. Now, a lot of you have translations that actually bring out better what this means. Old wives' tales. Can you imagine Paul getting up in front of people or writing a letter and saying, this garbage that you believe, it's just like old women just talking to each other and just chatting about nothing. Paul, did you really just say that? And, and when you think about it, the, the reason why he uses these words is because when you think about two ladies, and, and not just picking on the ladies here, but just two people talking about something that doesn't matter, that's what he's basically saying. He's saying at the end of the day, all of these traditions that you have, they don't really matter. They don't amount to a hill of beans. It's irrelevant. 
And so these false teachings that he's talking about here are irreverent. That is, they're worldly. They're not godly. And they're irrelevant. Ultimately, they don't matter. They don't matter. When you think about false teaching, usually it does two things. When Everywhere in Scripture where you see people teaching falsely, it usually does two things. The first one is, it denies the goodness of God. Just like these folks were doing who were saying, no, you can't marry. No, you can't be intimate with your spouse. None of that. They're denying the goodness of God. They say basically pleasure in and of itself is bad. We should live a stoic life. Denying ourselves all pleasures. But God gives us these things for our good. In the garden, the very first time that, that we see sin in the Bible, what do we see? The serpent telling Eve. It says, did God really say that? No, God, you know, I know God told you this, but really what's going on is if you eat from that tree that God told you not to eat, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God. In other words, the serpent's telling her, hey, God's holding out on you. God is holding out on you. God has something that's really good and He's not going to let you have it. And that's a lie that continues throughout the generations where people say they downplay the goodness of God, something that God gives us as a good gift, and they say, no, you can't have it because it's bad. The second thing that false teaching does is it distorts the Word of God. So it denies the goodness of God and it distorts the Word of God. Once again, going back to the serpent, notice what he says. He says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden. God did not say that, did He? God told them, you can eat from any tree in the garden. I want you to be well fed. I want you to enjoy. Take pleasure in this garden from eating from the trees. But there's this one tree that I don't want you to eat from. And then when Satan comes up in the form of a serpent and he, he, he starts tempting Eve, he says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He distorts the Word of God. We see it in the temptation of Jesus also. That Satan distorts the Word of God to tempt us. And that's exactly what these false teachers are doing. They are distorting the Word of God. Adding things on to what Jesus said and making it all about their add-ons and not about actually walking with and obeying Christ. So a question that I have for us today is how do I measure spiritual growth? I want you to ask yourself that. How do I measure spiritual growth? Do you measure it by how well you keep to the rules? Keep to the traditions? A lot of times we like to measure spiritual growth by uh, we dress a certain way. We dress a certain way. We look a certain way. We talk a certain way. We don't get tattoos. All of these things. We listen to Christian radio. Can't listen to secular radio, but we, all the, the, the traditions that we add on to it that we keep, if we do those things, man, we are walking with Christ faithfully, or at least the way we measure it. Is that how we measure our spiritual growth, where we are spiritually, or do we measure it the way that Scripture tells us to? Do we measure it by the way that we're walking with and obeying what Christ says? 
Do we measure our Christian growth by how much we get into the Word until the Word gets into us? Do we measure it by our growing in faithfulness to praying and to getting into God's Word? Those are the things that Scripture tells us that we measure growth by. The transforming power of Jesus is not about just keeping the rules like these guys are making it, but it is about what God is working in us. What God is is working into us through the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, let me just say, this is great news what I'm saying. Because I'm saying that Christianity is not about you cleaning up your act. Christianity is not about you dressing a certain way. It's not about you looking or talking a certain way. It's not about you listening to Christian radio or having a certain political view or all these external things. Christianity is about walking with Jesus. Christianity is about obeying what He says. And the good news about Christianity that we hold out what we call the Gospel is that God meets us where we are. That we are all sinners. That we are all enemies of God. But God meets us right where we are. That we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to change these external things, but we come to Him just like we are. He takes us where we are, and y'all, He loves us so much that He doesn't leave us where we are. That He starts working in our hearts and causing us to yearn for godliness. He does the work, y'all. He does all the work. The second thing that we see is if we're going to grow in Christ, not only must I reject false teachings, these traditions but also I must train in godliness. The second thing that Paul tells us, I must train in godliness. Look at what he says there at the end of verse 7. He says, rather, turning point, rather, but, train yourself for godliness. Well, what is godliness? We see it all throughout uh, a lot of Paul's letters. Godliness is an outward working out of what God is doing inside of us. Okay, so for Paul, godliness wasn't just about the external, but it was about it flowing out from the internal. For Paul, godliness was about God making an impact in our hearts, God transforming our hearts, and so therefore we walk a different way. Therefore we do things differently than we used to. I mean, just look at how Paul uses godliness throughout this letter. He says in chapter 2 that Christians should live a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. He says to women in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that women should dress in a way that is appropriate for women who profess godliness. Again, God has done something inside of us and we are living it out in our lives. We are walking in step with what we believe. In chapter 5, widows are called to show godliness to their household. Chapter 6, he says that sound doctrine is the teaching. Once again, our belief, our heart, the teaching that accords with godliness. He says there are some sinful people out there who imagine that godliness is just a means of gain. He says that great gain, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Finally, he closes his letter telling Timothy and the church to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Godliness in Paul's mind 
is not just about the external, but it's about the internal. It's about the internal. And notice what he says there. He doesn't just say that we're going to get zapped with godliness. He says, rather, train yourself. That word train is a gymnastic term. It's where we get the word gymnasium from. Think about athletes. What does an athlete do, especially like an Olympic athlete? What do they do to get ready for the competition? They exercise. They exercise. They work out. They have a goal in mind of where they want to go. And so they work hard night and day to get them to that goal. They train. But notice he says that we're to train for what? For godliness. In other words, folks, listen, we don't just become godly overnight. It's not like a movie montage where 30 seconds later you're godly. It's not like He saves us and then the next day we wake up and we are just zapped and we are like righteous 100%. No, it's something that we train in. It's something that we work hard in. But how does that happen? How do we train in godliness? I mean, that sounds nice and all, but how do we do it? You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go work out, well, where do you go? You go to the gym. If you're gonna train in godliness, where do you go? This is what Paul he writes another letter to Timothy, and he answers that question for us. He answers that question: How on earth, if it's so important that we be transformed from the inside out, if it's so important that we train in godliness, how do we do it? He writes to Timothy again, and this is what he tells him. He says. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted while evil people and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then here it is. All Scripture. Timothy, this is how you're going to train in godliness. All Scripture. Timothy, this is how you're going to grow in your Christian walk. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. He's saying, hey Timothy, you want to train in righteousness? Here's how you do it. You get in the Word. You want to train in godliness? Do you want to become a a better, more faithful Christian? We do that, listen, by getting in the Word. If you go to the gym when you work out, you go to the Word when you're spiritually training. And notice the illustration that he gives. I love it. He gives this illustration. He says in verse 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the one to come. He looks at training for godliness and then he says, you know, let's, let's look at physical exercise for a second. Let's look at this for a second. And he starts to compare training in godliness, Christian growth toward exercising 
when we go to the gym. He compares it to exercise and he, he says that physical exercise brings us rewards in this life. He's not downplaying that. It does, doesn't it? I mean, Ray Vellman can tell you it holds reward in this life. I had to throw in my Ray Vellman joke somewhere in this sermon. But he says the training in godliness, he says this Christian growth stuff that he's talking about, this getting into the Word, this grueling, you know, getting into the Word and it uncomfortably changing us. He says, that doesn't just help you in this life. That helps you in the one to come. That is, if you're not training for godliness, you don't have anything to look for in the life to come. Christians grow, folks. That's part of who we are. We must train. We must grow. Why does he use that illustration of, of physical working out? Well, I think he uses it because he wants us to see, just like physically working out, what if you just went to the gym once a month? You wouldn't get very far, would you? If I went to the gym once a month and I expected to, to be changed and I expected to have huge muscles, and I expected to be in shape going to the gym once a month, you all would tell me that I'm crazy. You would laugh at me. You'd think, well, that's just stupid. Let me ask you, how much more crazy is it for us as Christians to maybe get into His Word once a week, once every other week, not dig into it, not really be about it, and then expect ourselves to grow? When I was in college, I took a weightlifting class. I know that's hard to believe. There you go, Ray. I took a weightlifting class. Y'all, it was the best class I took in college. Because I've gone to work out with friends before. And they like, here, pick up this, this one right here. And I have no idea what's going on. So I go pick it up and and start lifting, and then when I get done, I can't feel my arms. Do y'all know how that feels, anybody? I'm talking like you walk around like this because you can't straighten your arms out. It's bad. But I enjoyed this class because they were saying, this is what you need to do to kind of ease into it. Baby steps, right? But also, one thing I enjoyed about it was because it was a class, because I was getting a grade for it, and because this was, you know, I, I wasn't going to lie about you know, log, you know, logging a workout. I had to work out several times a week. And I had to like list out, y'all, what this, I did this, this amount of weight, this many reps, and then I went to this, and I had to show like where I was progressing in all of this. And the professor wanted to see where each one of his students over the course of the semester was progressing. Right? So when I went in, I went for a little bit of weight, just, you know, a few reps. And then when I got done... Man, I was lifting a truck. I mean, <laughs> just making sure y'all are still awake out there. Y'all are kind of some blank stares. When I got done, I was further along than when I started. I passed the class. But you know what happened after I passed the class? I got busy. It's easy to go work out when you have to get a grade for it. So I eventually, once the class got out, I wouldn't get in a grade anymore. 
didn't have the accountability along with it. So I, I missed here and there. And then finally, I stopped altogether. I stopped the busyness of life. Just came in and it, it just made me stop. I look at that and I say, well, what happened? Well, what happened there was very simply that the goal that I had wasn't strong enough to keep me on the path of working out. I wonder for each one of us, myself included, does the busyness of life keep us from encountering the Word of God? Does the busyness of life, the hecticness of life, does it stop us from encountering God and His Word? He says, y'all, this is where we're going to grow. You're not going to grow apart from that. You're not going to, to train yourself. You're not going to, to, to get anywhere. You're not going to progress towards your goals if you're not in the Word. But a lot of times, we just treat it like we do working out. I'll get to it when I get to it. And then... You end up like me, 10 years or 8 years or however long, 6 years after college, and you can obviously tell that I'm not as buff as Ray Velleman is. <laughs> Spiritual growth is way more valuable. That's what Paul's saying. It's way more valuable than working out ever will be. And working out is good, it's valuable. But spiritual growth is that much more valuable. So why do we treat it as if it can just go on the back burner of our lives? Paul tells us that if we're going to grow as Christians, we need to reject false teachings. It's not about the external traditions. It's about following Christ. And he tells us that we are to train in godliness. We're to get into the Word until the Word gets into us. We're to be people of the book we're to not let our busy lives take away from our devotion to the Word of God. We're to read it. We're to study it. We're to memorize it. We're to get into the Word so much that it starts to become internalized to us. We should pursue godliness, and that's how we do it. Not traditions. As we think this morning about responding to God's Word, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I just want to reiterate again, you cannot earn God's forgiveness. You can't earn your way in by living by a set of rules. So this morning for you, the question is simply, will you stop your striving and finally say that I'm going to surrender to Christ. I'm going to cling to Him. The only way I have hope to be accepted by God is to cling to Him. Will you do that today? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, very simply for you, the way we respond to what we read is to get serious about the training. To get serious about this book. To say, I'm not just going to let my life slip by Months, years slip by and realize that I don't really even know this thing. That I don't really even, I haven't really grown as a Christian. 
just from, 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 hear it from, from a pastor's heart, if we're going to go anywhere as a church, if we're going to win the parish to Christ, it's going to take all of us growing in our faith. It's going to take all of us training. Will you be about that? Will you commit this morning to do that? And then will you, just like my weightlifting class, take baby steps to do that? Maybe for some of you, that baby step might just be tomorrow you open up and read two verses. Maybe for some of you, that means that you are going to get more consistent in what you're reading. Maybe for some of you, you're, you're just checking the boxes and maybe for you, that means the baby step you need to take is instead of reading just so you could check the box and move on with your day, that you just spend unhurried time in the Word. That you spend time journaling and writing. For some of you, that may mean that you go on your phone and get the app that will tell you what you need to read that day. For others of you, that may mean that you have to go to the bookstore and actually buy a journaling Bible where you can write the things that you're learning as you read through. Whatever that is for you, take that step. Take that step this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. And Lord, it just strikes me again today to know how simple Your plan for growth is for our lives. We like to make it complicated. We like to, to make it programized where you go to this program and you go to this Bible study, you do this and you do that, and then bam, you have a healthy Christian. But Lord, Your Word tells us that we're only as healthy as our devotion is to Your Word. The only way, Lord, that we're going to be the people that You've called us to be is if we're devoted to Your Word. Help us, Lord, not to make it about the traditions. Help us, Lord, not to make much of the things that are just old wives' tales. Keep us, Lord, from error. And help us, Lord, to get serious about following You. In Jesus' name, Amen.